South Connection. Welcome back to the Ruthlessly Aggressive Podcast number 51. I'm your host, Jambalaya Jake. Here, as always, to uh, dive through the Ruthless Aggression era of WWE. Um, let me bring in my guest on this one. He's a returning guest. He is a um, an expert on early 2000s wrestling as well as wrestling deaths. Um, you could hear him on the... Um, oh my god, I'm blanking on the pod, but it's... Uh, I know the pod... It's, <laughs> <laughs> Gertie, you're gonna have to help me out. It's James Groenberg. I know it's ECW, Gertie, but I can't. I'm blank on the title. I keep wanting to say Extreme Through a Dance, and I know that's not it. <laughs> What's going on, Jacob? No, it's not Extreme Three Way Dance. You know, I, I didn't make that. I didn't make the cut on that one. Um, it is Extreme <laughs> Resurrection. You know, so we're right. we're resurrection. Uh, we're resurrecting the uh, ECW brand. <laughs> Right. Sorry. So much extreme. I, I was conflating my two ECW pods. Sorry about that. But uh, yeah, welcome no back to the show, Grody. I hope you're doing fine. Yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, it's always a pleasure uh, doing these uh, deep dives into uh, the Raws and Smackdowns. You know, things are uh, things seem to be heating up, well, at least for uh, one brand, you know, starting off good. You know, I don't know about the other one. Right, we'll see. So we just recently on the pod, the last uh, episode I had with Scott Shiflett, we finally got into 2003, and we only had the SmackDown to do because Raw was a clip show for uh, New Year's. But um, we'll start off this way, Gertie, since you've been on. I know I've asked you how you were as a fan in general, but what do you remember about the year 2003 since we're just kind of getting into the year 2003 in WWE? Any any strong memories of the of the calendar year 2003? 
Uh, you know, it's it's all like it's when I was really like prime time into everything. So, you know, everything right. that you cover, like as the as the months go on, you know, like mm-hmm. everything just seemed like it was so big, like for 2003. I mean, there might have been like some bad months, like maybe like in some eyes, like there might have been like some down months, you know, not bad months. But, you know, like everything just seemed like really big, like no matter what month it was, you know, it just seemed like it was really, really big like the build-ups were very big and good at the same time right i'm interested to see it because i do think it's a year that like i think does get crapped on sometimes and i don't know if it's just because what it's compared to like kind of like oh two coming off the heels of the attitude era in 2001 which are you know the hottest time in the company's history um by many accounts. So I think, I don't know, it'll be interesting to see how 2003 holds up going through it in such detail. So, well, I think it's, um, mm -hmm. yeah, I think it's like, well, it's like, it's sort of like um, two things really, you know, it's like, who's holding the title the majority of the year, you know, which will be like, you know, no, no spoilers or anything, but it's like, who's holding the titles like for the year, you know? So that might be why people think it's down and who's the champion and like, you know, not really, you know, the hype for some guys like coming back, you know, there's a lot of returns. There's a lot of debuts, you know, so it's a lot of ups and downs, like, you know, for what we think 2003 is going to be to what compared to what it was. Right. And I think 2002 is a very transitional year. And I feel like 2003 is going to be them kind of making the move into what this next phase, like really getting into this ruthless aggression era in earnest. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like the whole E, you know, like no one real because like, you know, the E should the E is just born, you know, the entertainment side. And so it's right. like 2002. It was just like starting to like starting to just like blend in with it, like get along with the E. But now it's like, OK, oh, three, we're going to like bounce this entertainment side to like the the most we can right now. Well, that's a good point. There is. I do think that them changing to the E is a pretty clear like. um like marking point and where they become yeah. moving forward. Um, but anyway, let's, let's get into the shows, uh, James. We have um, not a lot of news. I mean, there was some news, but nothing really, you know, all that interesting I had for this one. So I kind of didn't have any big news notes to go over. So I think we can just go straight into the episode. So we will start with the yeah. um, with the uh, January 6, 2003 Raw live from Phoenix. So really our first real Raw in a couple weeks. Um, and um. Uh, just to recap where we were last time, um, on the last episode was, of course, from Oklahoma City. And that was when, um, you know, we had the whole angle with uh, JR and Bish- uh, Bischoff going after JR and King, and they had the match and all that jazz. So that will kind of play a role in this somewhat. As we, we come out to open the show, and the, the Dudley boys come out, they're immediately interrupted by um, Eric Bischoff and Chief Morley, who are livid. Uh, they blame the Dudleys for being embarrassed by J.R. and King on that show a couple weeks ago. And as a punishment, they send in their opponents, which are going to be three-minute warning, which includes Rico. So at first you're thinking, okay, I mean, they, that's a handicap match. But, I mean, really, they have Rico with them. That's not a huge difference. And three-minute warning have been kind of jobbing out lately. So not like the odds are completely against them. But then Eric adds on that they will also be joined by Batista, who's been – 
um, a wrecking machine lately, and this will be a no DQ match. So it ends up making it four on two. So the odds are greatly stacked against the Dudleys. But um, what did you think of this way of opening the show? I thought it was kind of interesting, a way to um, maybe start the show off with some energy, a little unexpected, and maybe break them out of their routines a bit. I don't know. Did you like this kind of coming out the gate with Eric um, berating everyone? Um, I did, and I thought it was a, I thought it was like an interesting surprise on where they were going. It's like, okay, it's just going to be, you know, the Dudley Boys or Sister Minute Warning. Right. But then, you know, I was like, oh, that's not all, you know. And then all of a sudden, you just hear the, the music of Batista with uh, Rick, Rick Flair, and like Batista here is like really like getting jacked, and uh, right. you know, he's just really starting. Yeah, he is certainly giant. He is huge, uh, complete monster. But yeah, I agree. I thought it was a, a good way because we have been kind of starting off these Raws lately with a lot of these pretty straightforward tag matches. So I thought it was a good way to kind of break up the format and maybe shake things up a bit. Uh, but we go in and uh, so it's kind of presented as a match. So it's going to be the Dudleys versus all those guys. Um, they get a 3D on Rico right from the beginning, but the numbers quickly catch up to them. And honestly, James, I didn't even really consider this a match once it was all said and done because, I mean, it really doesn't come off like a match. It's more of a beatdown. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was going to ask you if you did rate it because I gave it two stars for quality entertainment, you know, and right. like. And just for, like, Batista, like, you know, Batista's image and, uh, you know, like, this giant monster, you know, like, Mm -hmm. this force to be reckoned with. And he's got Ric Flair in the corner. So, yeah, um, I didn't know you – I didn't know you said um, how if you rated it or gave it anything, but uh, you know I gave it two stars and uh, happy new year to the Dudley boys. Hope the rest of the (laughs) year goes well for you. Right. Not a good start for them. But, yeah, I – yeah, I would agree. And if I would have read it as a segment, yeah, I thought it was a very a solid segment. But once it kind of broke down, because like, okay, Batista, after they do the 3D, they just kind of all jump them. The Batista ends up wrecking Devon, but then the ref won't count for some reason, which is strange. And yeah. the whole time they're doing this, Bischoff is like scolding the Dudley boys and like cheering up, cheering on the guys who are beating them up. Um, Batista does the old pull-up spot whenever the ref finally does count because Bischoff's forcing the ref to count. Uh, Three-minute warning hit the splash uh, while Bubba gets locked into figure four while they hit him with the splash off the top rope. Like it almost reminded me of a, it reminded me kind of a, um, an NWO beatdown that you would have saw like on a 1998 Nitro or 97 Nitro or something like that. Like it yeah. had that sort of vibe to it. So I didn't, but I would agree whether I rate it or not, I'm kind of with you on, I thought it was an effective segment. Like it, it was a good beat down, um, a chaotic way to start the show. And they were really starting to try to push Eric as like the, um, the heel. Man, uh, the heel uh, yeah. Like, right. And he always has kind of skewed heel, but he's more just kind of like douchey heel where now he's really starting to throw his weight around and, impact the guys on the roster more like clearly antagonizing them and this is going to be a running theme kind of you know trying to handle himself more like vince used to where he's has his hands in things where before i felt like he was more just there and he would like act like a douche but didn't really do a whole lot that really affected the show and now yeah. he's kind of using his power for evil i guess you can say yep yeah you know they like he's becoming more of like the heel Mr. McMahon character, you know, he's siding with the heels. I mean, you you know, like in 2002, he was always with three minute warning in, Mm. in a way, but like he wasn't, I mean, was he punishing guys? Yeah. But he never really showed like his 
true heel colors, you know, like you might have right. like said to Jeff Hardy, oh, you're getting a beat down tonight, like three minutes, you know, like and all that. But I don't think he really like ever showed like real heel colors until this year, basically. Right. It was more like he was just doing it for like shock value because I think the whole thing he would say, you know, it was for ratings or whatever, but he wasn't like actively always trying to screw guys over. Yeah. Like and he was, was saying, screw you to the fans either, you know? And I think it at least gives them, and as we're going to see a lot of it, he's going to be targeting undercard guys. He's really not very involved in the main event picture as far as this kind of heel figure so i do think it at least gives something on the undercard for them to work around because the undercard has kind of been floundering they haven't had a whole lot going on so maybe it'll it'll give them something some kind of conflict uh to build the undercard around because it does seem like that's mainly who he's going to be focused on not so much triple h and steiner at the top yeah so i didn't mind him no all right all right, so we uh, we roll on after the chaotic start, and we continue as Regal and Storm come down and berate Jr. and King after we come back from the commercial break, and um, and they even come in and get some shots on the Dudley Boys after this. So, really taking it to the Dudley Boys, and you could see all these heel, um, all these heel teams and heel characters are kind of aligned with Bischoff here in a certain way. So, just kind of yeah, caps off that segment. They're just punishing mm-hmm. the Dudleys. Yep. Right. Yeah. So, I th- and I do think it helps the Dudleys get sympathy because the crowd has been into them. So, I think this is going to help them as well. Mm-hmm. All right. But now we get backstage, and I just mentioned him. Uh, we see Triple H, who is, Gertie, I have to say, the, the tan that Triple H has on this show, as we, as we get to where we're going to be going later in Raw, he is just, I mean, he's always tan, but he was like Hogan level, like tanned in this, on this show. Like, he is just roasted, uh, but he's ogling himself in the mirror because, um, you know, he and Flair put each other put each other over, saying how he's greater than Steiner. Steiner could never beat him, and then Steiner comes up to him, gets in his face, and says that if he tries anything, he will rip his head off. Because of course, they are not supposed to uh, lay hands on each other grooming. So we're going to see uh, in what way these two are going to interact uh, later in the show. But I mean, this is this is okay. It's just kind of setting up like. I don't know what's going to happen between these two. Just puts them in our face quickly as the show starts. Yeah, um, I I was digging like Triple H's look here with the um, with the uh, the jacket. You know, like it made him look <laughs> like the captain of the football team. You know, it's like, yeah, that's me. You know, I got this cool jacket on, man. You know, I'm buff and I'm the man. Right. Nobody can hold this jock, Grooney. Okay. <laughs> that's what he says all the time. Yeah. All right. So we'll see what those two are up to um, in just a minute. But before that, we will head to another match. It's going to be a women's tag team match. Jackie and Trish versus Victoria Molly. Um, Molly, unfortunately for her, is kind of just an afterthought now. I thought that coming out here, she's just, I mean, she's on the same level as Jackie. And when you consider she was champion not that long ago, I mean, Unfortunately for Molly, they only usually have time for kind of one, like one women's feud, which means two women wrestlers to really focus on. And that's Trish and Victoria and everybody else is just kind of filler. And so that's what Molly falls into here, which is unfortunate because I have enjoyed Molly. Um, You see, Jacob, that's how that's how I think with uh, Jacqueline as well. You know, it's like. She's still here, like you know. Um, yeah. And it's like Molly is a Molly is a good heel to where Jackie like is sort of a good baby face, but the fans don't really like 
right. like like her, you know, like, you know, I don't think that they're tired, but it's like, you know, she doesn't seem like she's crowd pleasing as Trish is, you know, like Trish is the main baby face um, diva, you know, Jacqueline's just like the side, like the sidekick, you know, baby right. face, like she's there. So it's like Molly can sort of like make storyline can make heel storylines, you know, so Molly's a little bit better than Jacqueline, but again, yeah, it's all about Victoria and Trish here. Yeah. It's just like, they can't have Trish and Victoria just face each other one-on-one every week. So you just have to trot these other ladies out here to fill, fill in the gaps, but they don't really invest any time into making us care about them. Unfortunately, it's just kind of the mindset at this time. Uh, yeah. But, but the match itself, I thought was a real fun sprint. Like everybody was hitting their spots. So I thought there was some good physicality to it. And the heels end up stealing the win at the end when Stevie comes in and interferes. But, um, yeah, I mean, they only got a few minutes, but I thought they made the most of it. Um, I feel like they do need to reset the feuds a bit here because, obviously, we're still in Trish and Victoria, but they they haven't really been doing a whole lot. I mean, they've kind of had matches um, against each other in different formats with different teammates and stuff, but nothing has really happened as far as their storyline, I feel like, since... Honestly, that much in Survivor Series. And so they need to figure out, are they going to keep going with them? What's going to happen? But as a match itself, I, I went two on it. But I do feel like they need to, fo- they need to like refocus this and figure out where they want to go in the future of Victoria and Trish. Because they have been feuding for a while. And it's, you know, I feel like they need to either move on or, or come up with some new, a, new um, direction to take this feud. Yeah, I went with um, I went a star and a half on it because it felt mm-hmm. rushed. But um, I always said that Molly has that nice handspring elbow, like when she nails it, like it's really good. But um, you know, it just felt rushed, like you know, and like it didn't really buy any, like it didn't really buy any time for anybody. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, it, it definitely felt. I mean, they, they don't get a lot of time, unfortunately, not necessarily their fault. But I thought they at least made the most of it, you know. They usually do, yeah. I would say. When you get people who can go in there, and I think all four of these ladies could go. But yep. yeah, just sort of a quick little five-minute match to remind us the Trish and Victoria are still feuding. That's it. Yeah. All right. We'll keep on rolling. All right, we go to Terry now backstage, and she asks Booker T and Goldust what 2003 has in store. And Booker T spends pretty much the whole promo just railing on Eric Bischoff, talking about how Bischoff, um, you know, the ratings uh, have gone down since he's been uh, the boss, how he got stink-faced by Rikishi, just a lot of him crapping on Bischoff. And, of course, they cut to Bischoff, who's livid and says that tonight, as punishment, they are going to have to face Regal and Storm. So, again, um, James, pushing this whole angle that Eric is like the antagonist now of the undercard. So we saw him with the Dudleys. Now he's with Booker T and Goldust. Like, all the undercard sort of face teams he's having some kind of issue with. Yeah, and um, I don't know if you picked up on it, but I did. And I was like, Goldust is stroking Terry's hair. <laughs> right. it's, it's like, dude, you just got divorced from her and that whole, like, plane ride where you got right. drums from singing show tunes. And, like, now you're just stroking your ex-wife's hair. That's kind of weird, man. <laughs> That's a good point. You know. <laughs> it's, very, it's off-putting. Yeah. <laughs> Right. But it was, a, I thought it was an okay promo. I mean, it was just kind of Booker T insulting Bischoff, which it's just fine. I didn't think anything he said was like, it, I, I didn't remember any particular lines that were like fantastic. I mean, it was okay. No, but like, you know, it's just good heat to bring up that Eric Bischoff got the stink face from Rikishi. 
Right. So we will see if um, if this is going to backfire on them. All right. But we we keep on we keep, as Lubbesky would say we keep on rolling. All right. We go to uh, Chris Jericho in the ring as he's coming out to announce his entry in the Royal Rumble and his plans to reclaim the title at WrestleMania. The title that, of course, Gruden he won. Um, when he beat The Rock and Stone Cold in the same night, in case you didn't know. Um, uh, but as he's saying this and kind of gloating about himself, here comes um, Shawn Michaels down to the ring, who these two have had some interactions lately that have turned a little personal. But uh, HBK comes down and says that he's not here to start any trouble with Jericho. He's not trying to upset him. He just wants to speak to him because they are a lot alike. And if Jericho wants to prove that he is the number one guy, that he is the best in the world, just like just like Sean was when he was in his, at his peak, he always wanted to prove that he was the best. And if Jericho wants to do that, he needs to enter the Royal Rumble at number one. Because if he can go in at number one and win, like Shawn Michaels has done, then no one can deny that he is the best. So, um, of course, Jericho kind of sees this as Sean trying to manipulate him. So he comes back at him and questions whether Sean thinks he had, um, Jericho has to do everything that Sean has done in order to be successful because he, as he'll remind him that he has beaten two men. Um, to, to, when he won the title, he beat two men that um, that Sean has never been able to beat um, and calls him a self-centered son of a bitch. So good fire from Jericho, I thought here. but um, And a nice fire back, too, to kind of put himself over and show like he's kind of pushing, like he doesn't have to prove anything to Sean. And so, finally, as we'll we'll end up this first um, part of this segment, Sean says that he he's going to be in the rumble as well because Jericho has to beat him if he wants to prove that he's the best. And Jericho wants to throw down, and then someone is going to come in and interrupt this before they can fight. But um, what did you think of this uh this whole promo between this little interaction between uh Jericho and and HBK Gurney? I love it. I mean, you know, I always love Jericho's cockiness, you know, of him saying he's going to win the Royal Rumble. And then, you know, that big that big man, you know, Shawn Michaels comes comes in and, you know, he's like, well, Jericho, you got to prove that you got to prove yourself, you know, be number one. It, because if you don't, I'm going to ask Eric Bischoff to be number one. You know, so Shawn Michaels wants to tell everyone that he can do it again you know, at number one, win the Royal Royal Rumble. So, you know, strong promo by uh, both Jericho and Shawn Michaels. Yeah, I dug this too. I thought it was real good. I like how they get into the history. I like how they're presenting Shawn as like, you know, really going back in the history and doing this whole thing of, you know, sort of bringing the, you know, his reputation of being cocky and kind of relating that to Jericho, I think is cool. And just like using that as like a, him having this personal feud with a younger guy and kind of that there is a lot of legitimacy that that Jericho probably did was a big fan of him in real life and was like partially inspired by him to become a wrestler and, you know, influence his style and all that sort of stuff. It's the first time we're seeing, you know, it kind of looks like we're going to get like, they sort of teased it with RVD that we might get that as sort of a dream matchup and feud, but it was kind of like a, a mirage. Like it never really materialized. And obviously you had the stuff with triple H, which is no surprise, but it's sort of the first time we're seeing like, man, if Sean sticks around, you could really have these really cool dream feuds that, you know, a few years ago wouldn't know whatever thought were going to happen. Cause you didn't know he was going to come back, but yeah, I liked everything about this. I like Jericho being more serious and kind of, you know, making good points to come back at him and, you know, doing some goofy Jericho stuff like calling him self-centered, self-centered son of a bitch, but also being pretty fired up and serious and kind of holding his own. So I thought it was um, real effective. But uh, yeah, 
it's uh-huh. um it's funny like when um you know when you say that like everyone's more uh, a little bit more grown up a little bit more mature because if this mm-hmm. happened in 1999 there's no way this is happening but like you know mm-hmm. it's 2003 jericho's more serious Shawn michaels is back you know and uh happy and healthy so you know let's just get it on right but um before they were able to throw down as jericho thinks he's going to throw down we get randy orton who shows up which is Kind of a big surprise. He has not been on the show in several months because he's, of course, been rehabbing his horrible shoulder injury. But he um, he uh, comes out and uh, and kind of cuts him off, and he says that he's regained 93% uh, mobility in his shoulder. So he's almost up to 100%, and he is the new sexy boy. <laughs> uh, Sean ends up hitting him, and then Jericho attacks Sean, and now the ring just starts filling up with, the half of the roster RVD comes out, Kane Christian to kind of protect Jericho until everything sort of clears out. So giving us a little bit of preview, they do this pretty often um, when they getting close to the rumble, just have these segments where, um, you know, you just have a whole bunch of guys come out and everything turns into a big Donnie Brook just so they can push the whole, like, look at this. This is a preview of the rumble when you're going to have 10 guys in here at once, et cetera, et cetera. But um, I thought the the Randy stuff was kind of out of nowhere, but I was excited because it seems to mean that Randy's going to be a part of the show now, besides the R and updates, it looks like he's recovered and it'll be interesting to see where he slots in. Cause it, he's got sort of a goofy character right now, just showing up in his jeans casual and um, kind of interrupting this heated promo. Yeah. Like um, it's so interesting too, because like, you know, he starts off on SmackDown and then just ends up like on, just ends up on raw like, you know, like no, if like right. no, uh, like no real explanation. He's just there. Right. For most of those, I think they just they'll be like one line on commentary when when he swapped and they're like, oh, he, um, it was a trade. Like, they'll just say it was a trade yeah. without even really explaining much. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, it'll be we'll see where he slots in. But, yeah, just again, good promo by Jericho and Sean. And I, I really like the direction they're going with this. And I like that Sean's doing something else and is not still tied to Triple H. Um, no. But we will. All right. So we will now go to our tag team title match where Book Dust will be defending against Regal and Storm um, as a punishment by Eric Bischoff. But um, we'll see. They should be able to hold their own. Uh, uh, Book Dust looked like a well-oiled machine early in this match, like working Regal over there in complete control. Um, there was a funny moment here where uh, little Nate Charles Robinson, you could hear him drop an S-bomb. <laughs> like he said, you didn't cut that shit out or something, but I guess they had yeah. the mic too close to him, which was funny. But uh, <laughs> Regal and Storm fire back up at him with some methodical offense. Uh, Storm locks in a neck vice. Um, just a good hot tag to Goldust. Uh, beautiful strikes. I love his kind of that classic um, kind of Goldust right hand that he hits, the uh, little uppercut kind of deal. But uh, Regal... Uh, um, goes to save um, Storm and just straight kicks uh, Little Nate right in the face, just kicks the piss out of him. Like it was one of the most brutal um, ref breakups, just blatantly doesn't even try to like sneak or anything, just kicks the ref to save Storm uh, after Booker T hit the scissors kick. Morley comes in, he tries to be the ref, which doesn't work out, uh, but it ends up delaying things. Booker T and Goldust get distracted. Um, um, Sorry, uh, they have another ref that comes out, and it seems that Booker T and Goldust are going to have the win again, but Morley pulls that ref, and this uh, pulls the ref on that one. And while that whole chaotic situation is going on, Regal's able to hit the brass knucks, and then Morley goes in, and he counts the pin, and 
essentially hands the titles to Regal and Storm in a complete screw job, a big heel chicanery screw job to uh, take the titles from our beloved Booker T and Goldust. So, um, yeah, a lot of this. So the match itself, I thought was a lot of good action, um, even with all the craziness at the end and the kind of crazy, you know, interferences and three refs and Morley and all that. I did think they had a good tag match before all that started happening. Um, real good heat because Booker T and Goldust are super over his faces and Reekland Storm are, you know, strong heels, I think. They've been built up fairly well. Uh, but really the main point of this is really now solidifying that the whole um, heel Eric and heel Morley kind of taking over and forcing their hand on the roster and pretty much giving Reekland Storm the titles. I mean, Morley was just dead set and like would not let the match in until his guys could get the title. So really showing that, it definitely suggests that it's not just going to be like a, a like the moment we had earlier in the show, that this is a, going to be a big deal moving forward with them kind of screwing over the faces and stuff. But uh, anyway, I went two and a half on the match. So those are solid tag match, but I feel like the real story of this is the, um, the, the big title change and Eric pushing his hand. But um, what did you think of the match? And do you, uh, how did you feel about this as a, um, you know, doing this title change and taking the titles off of Booker T and Goldust, uh, James? I went, I went two and a half as well, Jake. Um, and mm -hmm. um, a little bit of a little too much hoopla at the end, you know, like, all right. So Charles Robinson goes down and then do we really need the chief Morley to go down to just have a third referee only to get pulled down? Blah, blah, blah. It's like, Oh, you got to check up in your buddy. I'll finish this. It's like, how does Morley become the reinstated referee again? You know, just cause he pulled out Nick Patrick. I don't understand it. Right. Yeah. It's, it, it was a lot of like, yeah, with many, yeah. Like many, many would call the, the Gaga or the, um, yeah. The Gaga. Book. Yep. Right. I guess they just wanted to maybe draw it out rather than just be like, like, like I kind of get it that they wanted to draw it out a bit and to, to make you think maybe Booker T and Goldust were going to be able to survive getting screwed over and like overcome it. But then they don't in the end. But yeah, it'll all be where they go with it, you know, because I think Booker T and Goldust are cool as the, the face is sort of chasing. And I feel like if built up strong enough, they could. You know, I think Regal and Storm could do well as like the uh, sort of the henchmen of Bischoff and Morley as like their champions as these kind of cold, um, like not corporate champions because that's not really what they're going. With, but you know, like the office's champions. Yeah, they are the henchmen for uh, Chief Morley and Bischoff, like you said. And uh, you know, Eric Bischoff is sticking into the uh, the baby faces, and that uh, you know he's not going to let anyone push him around anymore. You know. Right. And again, I know this seems like a as he celebrates with them after they win the titles too. they um they have a little backstage party. But I think the thing that I don't mind it very much is that it is, like I said earlier, more confined to the undercard. I'm cool with that because it just gives a little more juice to the undercard and that Eric is not, you know, pushing his hand with the title feud because the world title feud, because then you just really I think if they take it that far, then you're really just rehashing the you know mr mcmahon stuff i feel like this is at least a little bit different because it is more confined to the the lower guys so yeah right <laughs> all right speaking of lower guys we're gonna have uh chris Dewinsky, who's gonna be accompanied by his uh newfound pal Dilo brown to face tests we see that Nowinski before this earlier in the day has told Dilo that stacy rejected him because he is black so 
that's uh, something that they, but of course, Delo's a heel. So they're like pushing that Delo is delusional for thinking this. But anyway, it's, it's based off of the whole um, Delo looming over Stacy and trying to get her to push him like she does Tess and her rejecting him. Match itself is not a whole lot to it. Like they just kind of slug it out for a couple minutes and then Tess just spikes him with that. Um, I don't know what they're calling it. I don't know if that is a move yet, but it almost looks like a. Um, like a Sister Abigail type of thing, like a uh, reverse, like, swinging DDT sort of deal. But uh, so Tess wins, and I end up going to Star Groody, but D'Lo sneaks in after the match and hits Tess with a lowdown to kind of further that whole situation. Nowinski sort of just a pawn here to get squashed by Tess. So just a star for me. Um, I gave it a star in three quarters. Maybe that's a little too generous, but um, I like Tess's look. You know, and um, I think that's what they um, they called the uh, swinging. I think he, I think he's just called the swing neck breaker. Like you know, like I think that's what they were mm-hmm. making it look like because I've seen it on my podcast that I do. Like because mm-hmm. he's on he's on ECW in two thousand six. He does that same thing. So like it's just like the swinging neck breaker. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But um. Yeah, it was solid. Um. What did you think of? <laughs> What did you think of D'Lo here, Gurney? Uh, um, <laughs> and he's trying uh, to It's more of like a um, he's the guy that needs to just go away, you know? Like, <laughs> right? I don't feel that anybody cares anymore about D'Lo Brown in the year two thousand and three. He was like, I, I think like he's basically even like starting in 2001, he's just holding on, you know, and like 2002, how did he not get um, swept up? Like the Godfather did, you know, like of releases. Yeah, it is strange. He f- certainly feels like a relic in this era. He feels very out of place. Yeah. Right. Right. All right. We head backstage and then we see that there's some tension between Christian and Jericho. Christian says that he wants a title shot by winning the Royal Rumble. They're kind of debating who should get, who should, like, um, if they're the Rumble, who should they commit to? Like, who should the other one help to help them win it? Jericho calls him a loser, and then Randy comes in and calms them and gets them to focus on the task at hand because they're going to be teaming together later in the show. So a little tension. We've seen tension before, but I feel like maybe it's um, getting a little more intense here. The, uh, the kind of jealousy between Christian and Jericho and Christian um, Jericho wanting him to be the sidekick and Christian wanting to have his moment because Jericho kind of has already had his moment before. And so they're just pushing that further. It seems as if we may be leaning towards a Christian Jericho breakup, given that Jericho seems to have bigger fish to fry um, with Shawn Michaels. And that Christian's always the jealous one. Right, right. Correct. But uh, I like Randy as the voice of reason, though. Come on, guys. We need to calm down. God, it's like yeah. he's just like Randy Orton is such a nerd like here, you know, like, <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. But again, he's just the rookie guy, you know, but like he sounds like such a nerd. It's like, guys, calm down. We got to get through this, man. Like, you know, focus on it. Right. It'll be a um, that'll be another thing to watch progress as the character arc of Randy Orton going from you know, chilled out frat boy guy to, uh, you know, the Viper will be quite a transformation. Yeah. All right. So we, um, and especially in 2003 uh, too. Right. 
All right. So um, we we have been hyping this throughout the show, James, but um, we are now told that we are going to get the big pose down between Triple H and Scott Steiner. So they can't have, um, you know, put their hands on each other. We had the arm wrestling contest and now we're going to have a good old classic pose down, which is going to be hosted by coach. All right, so um, Triple H comes out first. He's trolling the fans, telling them they're jealous of his body so they can't judge him, um, saying that he can't have the crowd judge because they're biased because they're all jealous of him. So he picks six, um, you know, quote-unquote, random people from the audience, clearly plants, <laughs> um, and he has them all come and sit in the ring as the uh, – and they're going to be the judges. I don't know who these guys were. They were all, like, big dudes. I don't know if there was any – I don't know if you have any – inside scoop on this Grooney if if there's any like significance to who these six guys were I, I didn't know anything this sounds like them. a Ryan Gray thing you need to ask Ryan <laughs> right <laughs> you know <laughs> where were the what were the uh who were the six judges were they uh were these like OVW guys like lower card OVW guys were any of these like... guys on velocity <laughs> <laughs> right um but anyway Triple H gives them cards that they are going to have to hold up um to to, to judge this, and one side just says Scott Steiner, like in plain letters, and the other side has Triple H, just full graphic, like his little, um, I never <laughs> know what to call like I called it an H-cross. Yeah, yeah, like the little iron cross deal, um, but they're going to have to hold it up. Like I said earlier, Triple H is just, I could not get over <laughs> his tan. He was like roasted. Like it looked like his skin was going to peel off. Like he was Hulk Hogan, like on Always Sunny when they say uh, skin of a hot dog. Like yeah. He looks like a a well grilled hot dog in this. Uh, yeah, in here, I guess he got a uh, nice and tan for the competition. But um, all the reactions here killed me. So they do, you know, he does all these poses and stuff. He and um, he he flexes for everyone, and um, just the reactions to everyone. Like Flair is all excited. Look at him. Coach does these like weird eyes where he's like um, you know, like impressed. Um, it's just the the facial expressions of everyone were were. Very funny here. So, um, and so now Steiner comes up and we are going to get into the uh, the contest property. But any any thoughts on this whole opening sequence here, where we uh, set up the contest? Um, yeah, that um, when I was uh, because now I remember watching this and I was like, oh man, Scott Steiner's going to win this. You know, it's a pose down. I was like. How does Triple H just pick six random people like from the crowd to like be judges? Like I don't know how this works. <laughs> right. Like I bought yeah, that like, these just were six fans. Right. Yeah. It's a, well, like a new in story, like in the angle, like Triple H is obviously cherry picking these guys for a reason. But I was just thinking, <laughs> yeah. like, I wonder if they were like, did they just go to like a local gym and find six jacked up dudes oh, and say, oh, hey, here's, you know, like here's eighty <laughs> bucks, come be extras, like. <laughs> Or like local wrestlers or something. I don't know. I need, I need to see if I can find the backstory. I know. Um, yeah. I don't think Big Dave had anything about it. So I don't know. Anyway, all right. So we start the competition. They the way they do this too is they have this like weird spotlight, which I guess is supposed to make them look more impressive. But it, it made for a strange visual because it's like they're <laughs> it's like they're in a theater or something, like um, performing on stage. But because uh, they they like darken the lights and just put a spotlight on their uh, pecs. But at first they do the, um, the front double bicep. Um, forgive me. I'm not a, um, what was it? WBF world bodybuilding federation announcer here. So bear with me. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> and uh, speaking of that, all I can think during this scrutiny is that Vince has got to just be pounding it backstage. Like he's got to be loving this so much. <laughs> this is like so so Vince. Like just these yeah. two Jack Tan dudes just flexing, but they both look absurd. I mean, absolutely ridiculous. Like Triple H, even I know like Steiner, Steiner, but even Triple H here is just juice, juice to the gills. Um, and then. And then Coach with his um, and they they start to get a little upset with each other and start drawing. And then Coach, I felt like he said guys like seventeen times. Guys, guys, so guys, almost, <laughs> guys, guys. Let's so guys, guys, guys. Let's settle down, guys. guys. But yeah. but um, uh, any any further thoughts before we get to the uh, the um, the dramatic conclusion of this and see who wins, Grudy? Well, you know, that Triple H is looking jacked, but I thought Scott Steiner was looking even bigger, you know. And I thought that uh, – I thought Steiner was outmatching uh, Triple H in intimidating – intimidation. Right, right. Yeah, it's – um. I'll talk about it in a second, but there was one thing that kind of bothered me about this. But anyway, we – um. the conclusion is we get a very suspect unanimous decision for Triple H um, – so the six judges that he cherry-picked out of the crowd all vote for him. So it seems a little fishy. Uh, and Steiner's not happy. He starts yelling about it. So Triple H says that they could have another contest to um, you know, to see who's better. And they decide on push-ups. They both start doing push-ups at a furious pace. Um, but the only thing that I didn't like about this, as we're about to get to kind of how this ends, and, I mean, anybody could kind of see what's coming here. But I... I did not like that Steiner never got the mic. Like Triple H in the beginning gets to do his whole little promo where he says the crowd's jealous of him, everything. And the thing is, like Steiner's talking through the whole thing. They just never give him the mic when he's speaking, which I thought was weird. Where Triple H has it the entire time. I don't know if they were just like afraid to give him a live mic, but I feel like it kind of <laughs> hurts this whole se- right. Like it just hurts the whole segment because I want him to. I just felt like he was constantly like yelling into nothing. Like you could hear him screaming in the background, but he doesn't have a mic. So just it's a weird like imbalance there that I didn't like. Like give give him a fucking mic. Give Steiner a I mic. Know, I know. Well, he, like maybe that's it. That like you know right. he already like just dug himself into a hole by saying that at his first like debut it's like yeah i'm sorry i didn't mean to like say it that much but you know i was just excited to like be mm-hmm. here but like you know hope and hopefully you know like he wasn't getting like they weren't getting the vibes that oh we can't give him a mic he's just gonna go live rounds and there might be an f-bomb or something dropped in right but i do think it pushes you know people's perception that triple h is always you know in a lot of these feuds during this era he's given himself a little bit extra you know like don't get started the mic he gets a mic. It's just, I don't know. I I could see if he was a guy that you don't want to talk because he would like make a, like, you know, it would hurt him, but I feel like it would help Steiner here. It almost makes you feel like Triple H didn't want to get shown up, but I'm not going to sit here and speculate. But yeah. Anyway, but of course, while he's doing the push ups, the guys come in and um, jump him. The judges, uh, Triple H's guys jump him, but he gets up quickly and kind of lays their asses out, does a belly to belly. Um, and kind of clears out the ring as the crowd's going nuts for Steiner as he uh, clears everything out. And that's kind of how we ended. But, you know, James, I, did, I didn't mind this. Uh, but like I said, my main quibble with it was that the Steiner didn't get the mic. But I like this as something different. Like, they don't always do this. It kind of had that uh, – it was like a throwback sort of deal to obviously like the Hogan – I mean, not the Hogan one, the Warrior one from way back in the day. So it was a cool throwback to that. And just like – I feel like they're at a point where they 
they could easily, and you could see it sometimes, they fall into doing the same sort of tropes and ways of building a few, like, like you could easily saw this being a contract signing and they just do the whole contract signing thing. So I at least like that they did something different and that they're not getting physical with each other and kind of keeping them away from each other as far as like fighting. So, but um, yeah, so I, I dug it in that way. It was at least something different and it was entertaining enough. And both these guys are ridiculously jacked. So it made sense. See, that's where I, um, yeah, it mm-hmm. was good, but like, you know, and kind of like Scott Steiner and Triple H's performance on push-ups, you know, they're, they're perfect push-ups, you know, like no mm-hmm. butt sticking yeah. up in the air. Like they had to make it <laughs> no, really no. good. Um, uh, what else? And that's where I thought was the, um, like the, like, again, me being, uh, 10 years old was like, how are the fans allowed to attack Scott Steiner like this? What the heck? <laughs> These guys are going to get thrown out of here. (laughs) You know, until I was like, wait a second. I think they're like, I think they're just actors themselves. But yeah, again, I was like, they're not supposed to attack a wrestler like that. Right. Or why not just let the the crowd judge it too? That way, I mean, obviously they're going to let Steiner win. And then he gets. Well, because they're just biased. Well, they're biased, Jacob, you know. Right, but it's just, you know, <laughs> let Steiner. I mean, it, Steiner's still got his pop at the end, you know, because he yeah. got to lay everybody out. But why not have him, you know, he won the arm wrestling contest. Let him win this. Like, let him build some momentum going into the into the pay-per-view, you know. But I, I didn't have any main gripes with this. It was it was no. at least interesting. It, it was it was something different. Just, again, I can't stress enough. Give him a damn mic. Give him, <laughs> pop, pop. Give him the goddamn mic. I don't care what he yeah. says. I don't care if you're live. Deal with it. You don't get Big Papa Pump for him to sit there and, you know, be silent. It's not what he's there for. Anyway. All right. So now we will – we're actually already at our main event, James. We're going to have our – so this is going to be a tag match. All this is kind of putting together a lot of the pieces that fell into place during the show. So we're going to have Jericho and Christian versus RVD and Kane based on that uh, scrum that we saw earlier. And Sean is going to be in the corner of RVD and Kane is back up. And Randy is going to be with uh, Jericho and Christian. I guess they say there's not a whole lot of motivation for Randy to be with Jericho and Christian. I, I guess the only thing is that he's pissed that Sean hit him earlier. And so that's the only thing here. But he just kind of gets lumped in with the uh, the heel team. But um, So we start off the match. Uh, quickly, we see that the outside is going to be a factor as Randy tries to lay in the RVD but ends up get, eating a sweet shim music to the, on the outside. Jericho then comes in the retaliate on Sean and throws him into the steps. And after this kind of that early chaos outside, they sort of they, – uh, they set onto a pretty standard like formula tag match. Uh, you know, the face is kind of um, – you know, getting worked over. I like the comebacks a lot here. Nice power from Kane. Uh, he gets a double suplex on both Edge and Christian. I mean, Edge and Christian. <laughs> Jericho and Christian uh, that uh, look pretty awesome. Good teamwork, I thought, throughout this by Jericho and Christian. Kind of, um, I feel like they've gotten better as a team as they've gone on. I think Christian, it's kind of playing his role a little bit better. Uh, but uh, Jericho ends up brawling into the crowd with Shawn Michaels on the outside, and that leaves Christian to the wolves, and he ends up taking the L when RVD hits him with a five-star and Kane hits him with a choke slam. So like we uh, like we mentioned earlier, just more that would have you believe that the Jericho-Christian team may be breaking up pretty soon because you could kind of see where they're going to go with this, that Christian may blame Jericho for him getting his ass beat here, 
But anyway, uh, another good solid tag match. Nothing amazing though. Like uh, it was more just some good solid tag team action as a, a backdrop for them to build the feuds, like to build maybe a uh, Jericho and Christian RVD and Kane, Sean and Kurt having Randy kind of start to make his presence known, but, and they are making Randy seem like a big deal. I mean, considering like you said, Rudy was on SmackDown. He's kind of just a lower card guy, like just having random matches. And now he, here he is. I mean, he's not in the ring, but he's still associated with what's the main event of the show. Right. Yeah. And he's, he's associated and with top mm-hmm. characters, you know, at, um, you know, he's associated right. with Shawn Michaels and, you know, he's in there with Jericho, you know, not really like, in there but like you know he did eat a sweet chin music so you know randy orton has something to be mad about right he does look a bit like a goof but it's still you know it's it's definitely he's elevated more than he was when he was the guy on smackdown and the and the generic gear who just kind of was having you know going in there and having decent little matches like he seems like somebody that might end up being a bigger deal but i went i went two and a half on the match itself but i thought it was I th- thought it did a good job of pushing the Sean Jericho stuff, um, making RVD and Kane look strong, maybe pushing that Jericho and Christian are going to be, uh, you know, uh, breaking up soon and just pushing the storylines that they have going, putting a little focus on the storyline. So I thought it was a, a solid match all, all in all. Yeah, I went two and a half as well. You know, nothing really special, but, um, you know, the finish was good. I liked the brawling between uh, Shawn Michaels and Jericho going into the bat, um, going into the crowd. And um, I like the uh, sweet chin music to Randy. And um, the the finish was nice. You know, the choke slam and then Rob Van Dam doing the five star frog splash. So two and a half from me. Very good. Um all right, so we are not quite done as we have one last little thing to get to on this show uh, as we head backstage to Eric Bischoff, who is um, all in all pretty happy with his handiwork tonight on the show. And um, But he gets a call um, on his cell phone, and it is Vince McMahon. Oh, well, Vince's secretary, I should say. And he finds out, well, they do the whole thing where you don't know who it's going to be. And he hangs up the phone and says, he's going to be here next week. And they go, and Morley says, who? And it's going to be Vince. So Vince will be here next week on Raw. So we'll see what he's going to think of how Eric's running the show. But it's been quite a while. I'm trying to remember the last time Vince was on. I mean, I know he gave the famous Ruthless Aggression speech um, a while ago. But it's it's certainly been a while since he's been any kind of factor. So um, quite a big tease for next week, the return of Vince. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so, but, but that wraps up the show. Pretty brisk raw. I have to say, usually I find myself taking longer to get through raw, but I think it's just cause there's usually a lot more kind of throwaway stuff on it. I thought this would move pretty well. So we'll get to our overall thoughts on raw here. Um, I thought the Eric stuff maybe was a bit heavy throughout this, but, um, I do kind of like what they're doing with that because it is least, at least given, the uh the undercard a little bit of juice where it doesn't seem like we're just seeing so many like i felt like lately on raw we've been getting a lot of those like test nowinski matches that just kind of feel like nothing throwaway matches where i felt like a lot more of what we saw here felt like it melt, meant something mm-hmm. and i also thought the eric stuff added maybe some unpredictability to it maybe made the show not feel so kind of formulaic we got some some solid matches even though nothing was too spectacular and um yeah, just didn't have all a lot of the empty spots that I'm used to seeing on some of the the bad raws. So I actually went a tick above average. I went a six out of ten on this one, Granny. That was a, a pretty good raw 
all um, things considered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, um, I'm gonna bump mine up. I was actually, um, I was gonna give it a four, but uh, you mm-hmm. know, I'm gonna give it a five actually because uh, the way you convinced me was that it it was good. You know, I was watching, and I was like, it felt like it was lacklustering, and I thought I was gonna have mm-hmm. to say like. Not good for another uh, for Raw to kick off, you know, like the new year, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, the Scott Steiner thing was good, you know, and like I like the main event, so I'm gonna go with a five, you know. the The whole Eric Bischoff thing was was kind of corny, but good, uh, you know, like brutal beatdown by Batista and Three Minute Warning. But you know, Three mm-hmm. Minute Warning's fading, but I guess Batista's gonna be the new. I'm gonna beat everybody up, you know, for. Uh, not not Eric Bischoff, but he might be a hired hand. You know, the Divas, um, again, it's not about, like, Molly and Jacqueline. You know, it's about Trish and um, Victoria. Mm-hmm. But they were in a bad spot here, you know. Test is Test, and Nowinski is just that arrogant heel I like. But I don't like D'Lo. I just do not like D'Lo. So right. let me give it a five. Right. And I, I, I guess maybe I'm grading them, too, because I felt like on a lot of the Raws, I feel like I've watched, you've gotten a lot more of those like D-Lo moments where it's just like, why are these guys here? There's like five minutes of nothing. Like just a match thrown out there that means nothing. You don't care about anyone involved. And then, you know, it's it's just there to kill a few minutes where I felt like there was less of that on this. And I I dug the, uh, I dug the, uh, the uh, Jericho stuff too. The Jericho Sean promo was. Oh awesome. yeah. I forget. Like that, that one is, uh, that, that's going to lead to something, you know, bigger. And, uh, you know, it's going to lead to something that, you know, fans will remember. But uh, for now, you know, like the build, uh, like, it's just like it's starting to, like, itch a little bit, you know. It's like, oh, can mm-hmm. Jericho be the man? But, you know, Shawn Michaels wants to be the man, too, you know. Shawn Michaels yeah. being the arrogant, you know, you can't do it. But Jericho's like, I know I can do it. I'm going to beat you, you know. But Jericho's the heel and everyone loves Shawn Michaels. But, you know. Just two great uh, superstars. And I always like that. Um, I like um, Jericho's little snip where he's like, oh, well, I beat the Rock and Stone Cold at, um, in both not, um, both in the same night. Something that you didn't do, you know? Right. No, I agree. It's cool to see Jericho back in like a, uh, a top level sort of few top level deal because he's sort of been, I mean, he's been good. He's been doing the tag stuff and sort of just being kind of a role player. So it's cool to see him do it. Not quite main event stuff, but pretty, you know, to be in Sean's really his second f- feud after triple H from his return is I think pretty big. All right. So with that, we will move on to SmackDown. So this is going to be January 9th, 2003 SmackDown. We are live from Tucson, Arizona. And as we typically do on uh, SmackDown, we'll, we start with a recap package, mostly outlining everything that's been going on with Brock and Heyman and Kurt and all those guys. And then we go into a match, which is the typical format of SmackDown. And we are going to start with Big Show versus Rikishi. So um, a big man, a big man versus a bigger man, I guess I should say. But um we uh we get a big show sucks chant to early on in the show. Uh, show goes through his typical power moves, um, which I do think look good against Rikishi because Rikishi is a big guy. I mean, we, we're used to seeing Big Show kind of throw around smaller guys, but when there's someone who is big but not as big as Big Show, I think it looks pretty good. He goes, um, he must have got winded or something because he went for a, a very long abdominal stretch here, James. <laughs> like I felt like this uh, abdominal stretch went on for a good. Two minutes, I guess, maybe while they caught their breath. 
Um, and while they're doing this, Cole and Taz are recapping the whole Lesnar Heyman saga that I just mentioned from the video package. Um, I did like that Rikishi threw in the old Fatu uh, 360 cell on the clothesline. It looked pretty good. But uh, Big Show hits him with a choke slam, and it's pretty much over. Like, uh, Rikishi really didn't get much offense. I was kind of shocked because, as I've mentioned many times in this pod, Rikishi is like a weirdly protected guy uh, by WWE. Like, he rarely takes clean losses or gets dominated. He got completely dominated here. I guess they're just trying to build up Big Show because he is involved with Lesnar and everything. So it makes sense in that way. But I'm not saying it didn't make sense, but I was surprised. But it could, but this was uh, pretty much a squash with Big Show taking him out. So I, I want to star on it, James. What do you think? Yeah, I gave this a um, star and a half. I said nice dominance by the Big Show to Rikishi. And you were right that there was that big uh, long stretch of the abdominal stretch. And I was like, um, this is going like really, really slow. And, uh, you know, I don't know what the deal is. But, uh, you know, when um, Big Show gave him like the suplex and like a hard clothesline, you know, that was a really good, uh, really good powerhouse moves. And they really did need to show Big Show's dominance. Yeah, I agree. It made sense to put him over. I was just, like I said, I thought it made a, a good sense for where they're going with this. It just surprised me of how they usually protect Rikishi. It just kind of shocked me that they would just feed him the Big Show like this. But, yeah, it was, um, you know, served this purpose. It opened up the show. Was what it was as we, um, you know, feed feed Rikishi to Big Show so Big Show could most likely get fed to Brock. So there's the food chain right there. <laughs> so yeah, all right. But we will we'll keep rolling on here, and we get uh, now we get Cena coming out. He uh, comes out rapping. I did not note all of them, but he gives about four thousand offensive Hispanic jokes in his rap um, in his sixteen bars here. Um, just everything you think of, talking about Taco Bell, and you know, you fill in the you fill in the blanks. But um, I do like the gimmick of B two coming in at the end and saying "Booyah" after everything. Um, but the yeah. reason, no, go ahead. You have any thoughts on Cena, Cena's rap here, James? I was gonna say, is this John Cena or is this Sean Kidd? Because you know, I heard a bunch of Taco Bell references, and you know, <laughs> I think the Chalupa was there. Right, he does make uh, plenty of, I think about 25% of this was Taco Bell references, so <laughs> that uh, gives so you a window, and, right, um, you know, not the most PC thing you're ever going to hear, uh, but no. he gives this because he is feuding with the Guerreros, and he's going to be facing Chavo tonight in a singles match, but um, this is, uh, Chavo comes in pretty hot here, he's uh, whooping Cena's ass in the early going, like, hits a back suplex, hits Cena with a Rana, and Cena's kind of reeling, they go kind of back and forth. I thought it was pretty smooth, uh, pretty solid action between these two um, until we get into a sequence where B2 ends up knocking Chavo down. Eddie jumps all over. Uh, sorry, Eddie jumps all over B2 to kind of equalize things. You know, I, I did enjoy in this match because they have been heels for this little run to see the Guerreros kind of work in face. I thought it was really cool. Like they transition pretty seamlessly. Like, um, the crowd, like, wants to cheer them against Cena and B2. So I thought it worked well. And they kind of moved, they kind of changed their style up, I thought, here um, to face Cena. But uh, Chavo goes for some pretty slick looking pinning combos, gets a few near falls, and the crowd is really behind him. Um, the crowd is 100% uh, behind Chavo, like I said a minute ago. Like, the crowd is totally cool with them working face, not confused or like thrown off at all. 
He goes for another one, but Cena ends up grabbing the ropes and uh, does the deal where he kind of drops the knees down on Chavo's shoulders, holds onto the ropes, and steals the cheap win. But I thought this was some pretty good action. Continues to build the feud between the Guerreros and Cena and B2. And, um, you know, I think it continues to get Cena over as a heel because he's just a douchebag that everybody wants to boo. And, uh, you know, it's making them want to cheer the Guerreros. I feel like that's an effective heel if you could you know, make the crowd cheer for somebody who were just heels just a few weeks ago. So I went two and a half, a, a solid little match and a good way to keep uh, things moving with this little feud. I went two stars. I thought it was <laughs> a, a good solid match as well. Uh, I liked the, the Cena rap and, uh, you know, I was surprised they went John Cena versus Chavo. Like they mixed it up because we're going to see tonight also um, mm-hmm. Eddie Guerrero versus B2. So I, I kind of thought it was interesting how, you know, they uh, mismatched the uh, the Guerreros versus uh, Cena and B2. So we'll see what else happens tonight with uh, Eddie Guerrero versus B2 as well. Right. Yeah, they're going to continue this. That's a good point. So. Yeah, but Chavo did hold his own. Uh, Chavo held his own and. Uh, you know, I'm surprised he didn't win with the brain buster, you know, like they didn't let yeah. like Chavo get his finish in. But good steal by uh, Chavo as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I um, yeah, I thought it was the right way to go. I mean, it's OK. I think if anybody you're going to try and protect anybody in that tag team, it's going to be Eddie. So it's OK if Chavo takes a pin. And uh, yeah, not bad. I mean, like I said, the, the crowd was behind Chavo. I mean, <laughs> I know um, Chavo's the guy that some like to hate, but he was he was decently over here. Maybe it's the Eddie affiliation too. I mean, that's not hurting his case. So. No. All right, all right, Gertie. I'm glad you're here for this because I've been covering this for a while, and I'm I'm, I'm glad you get to do an episode. We can talk this, but uh, we head down to uh, the honeymoon suite where Dawn is with Al Wilson, and Dawn says that she's exhausted from the honeymoon in Hawaii because Al is an animal, and um, <laughs> if they want to join them, they can stay tuned. So, kind of teasing us that we're going to get to see a little um, Al and Dawn honeymoon action here, Rooney. Were you were you getting? Was this uh, making you not change the channel here because you wanted to see some Dawn and Al action? <laughs> I mostly wanted to see some Dawn action, you know. <laughs> not really like Al Wilson action. I mean, you know, and I feel like I felt the same way when I watched this episode as well at age uh, ten, turning eleven. You know, <laughs> right. I think you might have been who they were targeting with this. Somebody it's all who, uh, coming back to me now. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's um, a little tease. As usual, this is not going to be the last we see of them. As a, We'll see what happens later, uh, Courtney. We'll see where this turns in the next uh, dramatic entry in the Dawn Al Wilson-Tory Wilson saga. No, but this is like when like I'm really hitting that stride of – not uh-huh. missing a beat with like SmackDown. I mean, you know, I can't like really remember like the show of like wrestling, but it's like when you bring up those moments, like, yep, I remember like a lot of these segments. And I'm just like, oh, yep, you know, I remember what happens, you know, and all that. So this is definitely where you're seeing Grooney watching, you know, SmackDown <laughs> full two hours. Right. Like, uh, yeah, like you don't remember it off the bat, but whenever I, whatever it's described, you're like, oh, yeah, okay, this is. It's all yep. coming back to me now. Exactly. All right. We'll head on to our next match. It's going to be uh, it's going to be Matt Hardy versus Billy Kidman here, um, which 
it's a pretty cool match on paper, I got to say. Um, I'm, yeah. I dug this going in. I was, I was interested to see how this match would go, and I wasn't really disappointed. Uh, now, um, can I ask? Mm-hmm. I do have a question. Um, do sure. you believe that? So you have this match. You have a match, a match, a match, a little mm-hmm. segment, and then back to matches. Um, do you think that like it gets tiring of the fans to have like all like four matches? Do you think there needed to be a segment of something or like, you know, it, it's good. It's at a good pace. Right. I, I generally like it on SmackDown and I think it does help them because SmackDown is taped that they can kind of edit it a bit to make, um, you know, make this all kind of tighter. Cause who's to say like when they actually had the live crowd, maybe they did throw some things in between here for some kind of cool off period, but at least the way that they construct the show and edit it together, it's pretty seamless. But I, I generally like the, uh, I kind of like the pace of SmackDown, how they just go from one thing to the next. There's not a lot of downtime. So, so I don't know. What did you think, Rooney? Do you have any thoughts since you uh, brought it up? Well, I, I, like I kind of like it. Mm-hmm. I like that they do use, like, they, they're using a lot of their, ro- like, you know, SmackDown has the better roster right. here. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, like with Raw, you know, you got the, you have that pose down segment. So if here it's like, all right, so that pose down, you know, we can't really use a lot of like the superstars uh, who are left. So, you know, SmackDown wins in that category of, all right, if we put on matches, you know, more of our talent gets uh, a little recognition. Right. Uh, 100%. Like SmackDown is clearly the show that is more focused on. Like if you just want to watch matches and wrestling, this is clearly the, the option over Raw. I agree with that 100%. Yeah. And I think uh, it works, though, because it's a good contrast. Like you kind of have more of the – a lot of times you have more bullshit on Raw, which, I mean, some people are more into. You know, that's what more people are into is the, the storylines and the goofiness. And SmackDown is a little more – I mean, obviously it's got the goofiness thrown in because we get – you know, Dawn and Al, but yeah, they, they're clearly trying to make SmackDown the more, you know, if just somebody wants to watch good matches, SmackDown's your show. So. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is one. So um, to, to get back to this, so we get Hardy and Kidman, great flurry from Kidman from the start. Like he's hitting uh, Hardy with the drop kicks. I thought he came out like a house of fire, looked really good. And um, this whole match, I like the whole, uh, they really played up like, Kidman's speed versus Hardy kind of being more of the, uh, I wouldn't call him a power guy, but compared to Kidman, the way he worked in this match, he, he was a bigger guy, kind of working more um, a more grounded attack. Like he uh, catches Kidman at one point when Kidman's going for like an aerial move and hits him with a side slam. So you do a good job of uh, putting that on display. And um, Kidman was just like on some other shit in this match journey. Like he, um, at one point he have, we have Shannon Moore on the outside and, um, Kidman does like a, a shooting star press to the outside. They look absolutely sick, which, uh, I mean, Kidman does some high risk moves, but you don't usually see him do crazy, crazy spots like that. So, um, I was really digging that, but, uh, we get the, uh, Matt goes for the twist of fate. Kidman launches him into the ropes into Shannon Moore, who's on the apron trying to help, but actually interferes. And that allows Kidman to uh, pull him back into a roll up and steal the win. But, I really dug this as a, a really fun sprint match. I like the dynamic between the two with um, Kidman constantly going for the, the fast-paced offense and Matt trying to slow him down and then having Shannon cost him the match. Um, I dug this for a, like a five-minute match or whatever it was. This is um, this is pretty damn good. I actually went three on this, Grudy. I This was like a um, kind of a shock me how much I love this one. Uh, I'm going to go two and a half. Um, it was really mm-hmm. good. And that um... – 
that Billy Kidman uh, shooting mm-hmm. star press, you know, it looked, I mean, when they said it looked dangerous, like, because, um, you know, mm-hmm. like, um, I think it looked dangerous. Shannon looks a little dazed by it. Like, you know, it looked like he, he took the, he took the brim of it. So right. I can see where it's like dangerous, but it's still, it, it looked cool. It was like, Oh man. And it's not like, it's not even from the ring. It's like, um, it's, um, uh, to the outside. So it's like, Oh man. Mm-hmm. So, uh, really good. And, uh, you know, Shane Morris is trying to be a Mattitude follower. Right. An mf if you will. Yeah. An mf <laughs> He's trying to be an mf Yeah, it was fun stuff. I, I enjoyed this match quite a bit. And you, I think especially in this era, like I, I feel like maybe we're more used to seeing wilder spots like that now. But I feel like on a, a random 2003 SmackDown, that was a pretty big spot. It kind of caught me out of nowhere. I wasn't. It kind of caught me off guard. I wasn't expecting to see him do a, a shooting star press to the outside. So good for Kidman. Maybe maybe yeah. Torres giving him some extra courage, Grooney. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But after the match, Matt blames Shannon for the loss. But then it looks like maybe he's going to turn on him. But then he actually grabs him and hugs him and seems to forgive him. We'll see. I don't know if he's really going to forgive him, James. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll see yeah uh, no spoilers <laughs> but <Yeah>. anyway <laughs> all right uh speaking of uh tori uh we go backstage to see her she's very glammed up i thought she was very done up here even more than usual but uh, she's speaking with josh matthews who's been making more appearances on the show as a backstage interviewer uh she says that the wedding was disgusting and tasteless uh having to see her uh, <laughs> Uh, her father stripped down into his underwear and that Dawn was really just trying to embarrass him and use him. And uh, then Josh reveals to us that at the Royal Rumble, we are going to get a stepdaughter versus stepmother match, meaning that Dawn and Tori maybe are going to finally settle this in the ring at the Royal Rumble. And uh, after this, at the end of this, Tori gives an extremely cheesy line about putting, calling like Dawn Cinderella, but at the end of the, like, she's got to put the glass slipper on her, but she's going to stick it where the sun doesn't shine. I don't know. I thought the last, the last part of this was extremely corny. I don't know how you felt about it, James. Well, it's just kind of awkward, awkward on the mic sometimes. Sometimes she can be. Um, But um, (laughs) I said that Josh Matthews looks like a high school sophomore, you know, he still (laughs) has his top of, he's still, like, even though it's been, like, almost, like, a year and a half or, like, almost two years, like, he still has his, like, tough enough baby face, like, you know, like, I mean, like, with, except for, like, the, with, like, the, you know, the tips in his hair, you know, so, like, um, but, like, he, he does look like a sophomore, he's like, well, did you hear this? And, you know, like, he's just glaring at him, like, oh, well, this happened, and, um, right. you know, um, and then, well, um, after the interview, uh, my, uh, Taz is like, oh, isn't that the one where she meets the uh, seven men? And he's like, no, that's uh, Michael Cole's like, no, it's Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, you dummy. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. I love Taz. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but, uh, you know, a good uh, – uh, eh, not really a good interview, but, like, you know, the, but, like, it's, yeah. it's good how, like, glamour, like, you know, shot uh, Tory looked. Right. And uh, it, it pushes things along, you know, uh, she kind of has to play the the um, the serious one in this ridiculous feud. So, you know, yeah. I'll give her some ridiculous. You know, give her, right. She's got to try and play it serious. So it's it's not an easy thing to do. So 
I'll give her a little bit of leeway on that. All right. So, um, all right. Now we're going to go to a, a match between Jamie Noble and Tajiri, which I was excited to see Jamie Noble back because he's kind of been, he's one of my favorites on SmackDown. He hasn't been around lately. So it's cool to see him back. And these are kind of um, former buddies going at it here, James. Um, and even allude to on commentary, uh, the weird relationship that they used to have between these two, where it was like kind of implied that maybe Tajiri was banging uh, Nidia or watching <laughs> Noble bang, <laughs> watching Noble bang Nidia, or there was some weird sort of uh, you know triangle romance going on here. But apparently they're feuding now. They kind of their relationship is soured. But uh, a lot of great strikes in this one, as you'd expect, especially from Tajiri with the kicks and. Um, yeah, Noble is great in this. Just real mat focus, like working all kind of submission holds, grounding to Jerry. He even gets him in the uh, the trailer hitch, which is almost like a um, kind of a variation of the figure four. Almost look a little bit like a calf crusher mixed with a figure four, but a pretty sick submission. Um, I love Jamie Noble when he's working the mat stuff. He's super good. But uh, I, I just love that he's like a trailer trash dude doing these like um, – you know, technical submission maneuvers, right? It's so cool. But yeah. um, the finish kind of comes out of nowhere, though, where Tajiri just out of nowhere just kicks him straight in the face and pins him. So uh, I thought it was a cool match. It just didn't it didn't get a whole lot of time to really build to much of anything. So I went a star and a half on it, but not necessarily their fault. I enjoyed what they had, but it just didn't really have enough time to really build to anything. So kind of worked against it. Yeah, I'm going to be in the same boat with you. Um, I'll give it um, a star and three quarters. Um, you know, mm-hmm. uh, it was good. Uh, you know, uh, good action by uh, nice action by both guys. A lot of reversals. But you see that from, uh, you know, two cruiserweights. You know, Jamie Noble's like a little bit of a powerhouse cruiserweight. Uh, but he's still like, you know, like he's still a little, he's still small. Um I did like the uh, the I did like the ending where it's like Noble got like kicked in the throat I think and then like he just gets like the kick to the head so uh, goodbye mm-hmm. to Jerry and you know um, still kind of like that uh, Jerry's around to pick up a couple of wins you know um, that they're still utilizing like to Jerry like his time isn't up yet on uh, SmackDown or anything. Oh yeah, I love to Jerry and it was a sick kick. I love that finish. It was. It was a brutal yeah. kick to the face. Yeah. Um, all right. So just another solid match here on SmackDown. They're piling them up on this one. Quick, but quick, but fun. Yeah. Uh, all right. So now we are going to get our, our first. I mentioned him, I believe, on the last one in the news that he was going to be on the horizon. But we get our first glimpse at uh, Nathan Jones as he, we see a little video package vignette. And pretty much all they give away in this is that he sounds like he's Australian and that he is in some way like a prisoner or he's like prison related. Like he was in prison. He's currently a prisoner. And that's about all we get from this. But uh, very ominous uh, Nathan Jones video package here. Yeah, um, you know, (laughs) um, it's only the opening, like the beginning of uh, Nathan Jones. But um, as it like as the weeks progress, um, you'll see like more. And I really didn't know if the whole uh, news thing was like real, you know, like, oh, and then it's like this guy really did go to jail for robberies. (laughs) Right, right. It is. It's going to be fun to cover Nathan Jones because I think I talked about in the news, but 
they had a lot of high hopes for him. They thought they he could be like this next legit tough guy, like in the same realm as Brock. And uh, as we'll see, it may not yeah. <laughs> work out <laughs> work out that great. Yeah, especially when you get to WrestleMania 19, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, mm-hmm. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. So um, we will go on to our next match. And this really, this whole next segment all kind of is like, we'll have multiple matches, but I I would consider this all sort of one cohesive segment. So we're going to get Edge versus Charlie Haas here as we uh, continue to establish Team Angle as um, Kurt is not wrestling because he's injured. So Team Angle are kind of wrestling, I guess, sort of in his place and just trying to get a glimpse. So we saw them in tag action the the past week, and now we're going to see them in singles action. But uh, right as the bell rings, we hear Benoit's music, and he's going to come out to make sure that kind of keep team, team Angle in their place and make sure they don't screw over Edge. Um, we get a, light, a lot of hype for uh, Charlie Haas on commentary, as Cole's telling us. Not only was he, um, you know, this great amateur wrestler in, uh, in college, but he was also an academic All-American, so he's extremely smart. So channeling some JR energy there, telling us about his background. Uh, Haas tries to work the mat, but Edge comes at him with the explosive offense, kind of doing his signature Edge stuff, like the face plant and whatnot. Um, I do like Haas kind of changing it up in the middle of the match. Like he realizes that the mat work maybe is not going to be enough to take out Edge. So he starts mixing his own big moves. A lot of Kurt S maneuvers here, like the belly to belly. Um, he makes the mistake of going up top, Haas does. And uh, that kind of backfires on them. And they just start throwing bombs here. Just big move after big move. Suplexes. Um, throwing all that, everything they got at each other. And then uh, Shelton Benjamin gets on the apron. It backfires. And Haas ends up getting speared. But Kurt pulls the ref. And in the chaos, Angle sneaks in into the ring and hits Edge with a crutch. And that allows Haas to steal the win with an exploder suplex. But, uh, yeah, I... Um, and then Benoit comes in after the match to make sure they don't jump Edge after the match, but he wasn't super effective in helping Edge not get screwed over. But, yeah, I went two and a half on this. I thought it was a good showing by both guys, especially Charlie Haas, like, still establishing himself, showing what he could do in a singles match. I thought he held his own well. I thought they had a cool dynamic between them. And um, they, I thought it did a good job of, as we'll see with the next match, too, of establishing like team angle as a force, like really getting over the stable that angle has these guys with them now and they're legit and that they're going to be a force to be reckoned with. So I thought it was effective. Um, what'd you think James? Yeah, I went two and a half as well. And, um, I like that Benoit came out right away to enforce that, um, you know, he's not, he's going to watch edges back and, uh, you know, good showing by Charlie, Good showing by Charlie. You know, the ending was what it was. The heels get over um, by, uh, you know, Edge taking that crutch shot to the, what was it, to the head, right? Or, yeah. Yeah, the head, back, neck, something like that. <laughs> yep, yeah. So, uh, you know, good uh, good cheap victory by uh, Charlie Haas. And, uh, yeah, we are establishing, uh, you know, what team angle can do. Yeah, I've been impressed with them quickly. Like, they're they don't look out of place. They don't look like they can't hang with the guys that are being put in there with, and they're being put in with legit guys, as we'll see in this next one. Um, Cause they kind of, they kind of, like I said a minute ago, they sort of meld these two matches together as sort of one full package. So like Benoit comes in to protect edge. Then he kind of taunts Kurt and says, tick tock until the rumble, like saying the rumble's coming near. And that, um, 
you know, he'll be ready for Kurt and Kurt better be ready for him. And that he wants Shelton Benjamin tonight. So just like Haas got a match now, Shelton Benjamin's going to match and uh, he's going to be facing Benoit. So, um, I should mention too that so they go to a commercial break when they come back they tell us that all of the um everyone at ringside has been sent to the back to make sure that this works as a um like a legit straight match with no interferences they really push that uh ben, Benjamin has to try to hang with Ben Benoit's like high impact style as Benoit's hitting all of his um you know the really uh tight suplexes and stuff and uh, the traditional wrestling moves. So um, he's got to try and match that. Super physical match. I thought everything they hit in this was uh, pretty stiff, which is not shocking given Benoit, but I thought Benjamin did a good job of sticking with him. Benjamin gets uh, frustrated at one point going for, like, multiple pin attempts, and none is good. They kind of frame that as a rookie mistake, which I thought was a cool little uh, point to make. But uh, and the, uh, they're doing a good job on commentary too, like pushing everything that like Benjamin's more of a rookie. He's got to hang with Benoit. You know, he might not be able to out wrestle him, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Benoit gets the rolling Germans, puts him into a suplex, suplex, sorry, crossface, you say, not suplex. <laughs> uh, and then uh, <laughs> Angle ends up hobbling down on his crutches, distracts the ref, and then is able to hit Benoit with the crutch. The ref catches it, and then we get a DQ. So this ends up with a non-finish um, because, uh, unlike Edge, I don't think they want Benoit to even take a uh, a cheap loss here because they're trying to build him up for the Rumble. But I even dug this one a little bit less, uh, I mean, more than the, uh, the previous match because I thought it was a little more physical, and I think that's just the Benoit factor here. And uh, I thought Benjamin looked really awesome in this. Like, he hung with Benoit, even though... You know, he hung with him. I thought, like, he never looked lost in the match, and he kind of met Benoit's physicality. And uh, I thought this was good. I actually went a tick higher. I went three on this one. Uh, yeah, um, I gave this also two and a half. Um, but uh, to your credit, um, you do see a lot of uh, stiff shots. And the, the wrestling side of sh- the wrestling background of Shelton Benjamin comes out in this match that, um, you know, that they, um, that they don't point out, but you know, that he's from like the university of Minnesota, uh, on the wrestling team. And like, you know, he has a wrestling background mm-hmm. and, um, you know, like he was like former roommates with Brock and everything. So, uh, you know, but uh, we do see that uh, Shelton Benjamin, uh, the wrestling side of Shelton Benjamin, come out here tonight. Yeah, I agree. I thought he looked good, both guys. And so, like I said a minute ago, these two matches kind of work together to kind of put over uh, Team Angle as sort of not only are they a tag team, but they can hang on singles matches. It just gets them over as, like I said a minute ago, like a force, like something that everybody in on SmackDown is going to have to deal with as like angles backup, but um, yeah, especially the post, mm -hmm. yeah, especially the post segment too, like the force to be reckoned with or not to be reckoned with. Right. So after this Benoit trips angle, he locks him in the cross face with a crutch, which gets a huge crowd reaction. Like he kind of, you think angles going to get him, but he kind of throws him on the ground and puts him in the uh, cross face. But then the numbers catch up to him. Angle hammers him with the crutch and puts him in the ankle lock, and they just do a, um, you know, they just do a classic heel beat down on him, and just you know the two team angle hold the mind angle kind of slaps him around. But yeah, this whole thing I thought between the two matches and the post match segment 
just did an excellent job of getting over the stable. Like shows like I, I like the whole change in angle now where he has these guys behind him and he really feels like dominant where he's always good, but he doesn't always feel dominant like throughout 2002. Now he's the champ. He's got this backup. He's got Heyman on his side. It's like he just feels like he's on another level right now. And uh, they, they're doing a really good job of pushing Haas and Benjamin along as um, legitimate and just I like all of this. And then you also have Benoit looking like the underdog, getting his ass beat by these three guys, looking like the ultimate underdog going into the Royal Rumble. So I thought between the two matches and the post-match, I thought this whole thing was extremely well done. Yeah, it was. And, uh, you know, we're marching towards the uh, WWE title match uh, between Benoit and Angle. Right. Yeah, real, real good stuff. And it's making me um, and the, the last thing I'll say about it, too, is that to their credit, it's good that they've kind of made these changes and stuff and made this feel fresh because these are, you know, this is not really a new feud. These guys have been feuding all through the last half of 2002 and they've had matches together, quite a few matches. So to make something that they've already kind of been doing feel like a bigger deal and and not feel old and stale, I think, is um is good also. Because it's, you know, it's not really a new feud, but it also feels kind of fresh. They're using, you know, by bringing yeah, in Team Angle, they've new. kind of fresh. Right. They kind of freshened it up by bringing in Team Angle and changing things up a bit. Yeah. All right. But uh, all right. We'll head back to Alan Dawn, uh, Grooney. So we see Alan Dawn having some fun in the shower. Uh, Dawn pulls him into the shower and Al starts moaning. And Taz, Taz says that... Uh, that it looks like that Al's going to be able to go all four quarters. And uh, he then tells Michael Cole that it is possible to OD on Viagra. So um, so Al better be careful. Taz had some freaking funny liners. For a guy who is like a suplex machine, you know, like I don't know if Vince is feeding him lines or anything, but like he had some zingers. Right. He always has some good ones on all, on Al Wilson. And he's, he's not he's always, too perver- and he's not too pervertish with it either. Like, you know, King no, is no. funny, but he can be like, eh, it's not really good. But then it's like Taz is like, you know, it's funny, but he focuses on the match itself too. Right. Or like if it's Dawn, he'll just be like, wow, Dawn is hot, but he won't get to a level of like <laughs> like where he's like creeping out on her. He'll just say He'll be like, yeah, that's a hot tomato. And then we'll just kind of move on. Like he doesn't linger on it and obsess over it. I think the way King does, which is good. But uh, got to make sure you don't know D on that Viagra green. Yeah. If it lasts, if it lasts more than four hours, contact your, <laughs> your, your physician. Yeah. All right. All right. We'll go to a lot of matches on this show. They crammed a lot of matches in here. As we keep going, I'm like, man, another match, another match. Uh, so we're going to get Shannon Moore versus Bill DeMott. Um, as I've covered, the Bill DeMott pushes on. He's been squashing people. We get Matt Hardy on commentary as his protege Shannon's going to be in the match. And he, he kind of tells us that Shannon's has there in her stripes. He's kind of a rookie. He's still finding his way here in the WWE. But um, he's definitely earning it in this match because he gets his ass beat. Um, it's a lot of Bill DeMott clubbing strikes and headlocks. And then he uh, he hits a doctor bomb on uh, Shannon Moore and just completely squashes him. I mean, just one. This is like an old school, like superstar squash match. I don't know if Shannon Moore got like a single bit of offense, but 
Um, Matt denies on commentary that he's upset with Shannon for losing, but he does look unhappy. And then he goes into the ring and he kind of does like he's going to hug him again, but uh, he ends up giving him the twist of fate. So they're not waste a whole lot of time on this. I thought they might draw this out uh, over a few shows, but in that matter of one show, he's already turned on Shannon and given the twist of fate for not living up to his expectation. So, um, but I thought it, it gets Hardy over as a, uh, you know, getting to be more of a, uh, a brutal heel as opposed to a goofy heel. The match itself, I want to start Grooney. It was, it was nothing really to write home about, just a squash match, but it does continue to push Matt's heel character, this whole uh, segment. Yeah, I want to start in a quarter. Uh, nothing mm-hmm. special, but, uh, you know, Bill DeMott, um, they could have used him more. Like, you know, uh, you still see shades of, like, Hugh, like the real self, uh, Hugh Morris. Uh, you see Hugh Morris in there still, but, uh, you know, Bill DeMott is being a... Uh, powerhouse here and uh, i liked at the end it's like oh it's okay and then it's like twist of fate it's like oh okay so you know it's not okay right what do you think or how do you feel about bill demont being featured so much the I, I i haven't been a fan just not that he's bad in the ring i just don't i don't know he doesn't do anything that made me care about him um like i feel that like if he was with like more of the main um main stars instead of like you know squashes like if you put him in a match with edge or like benoit even you know like if you gave him the benoit rub it would probably like make him look better like if he could have a good match with chris benoit right right like put him with people more legit which i don't know i don't remember much about this run from he he may end up uh maybe he does end up having some matches with more legitimate guys i don't i don't know when they kind of give up on it and just kind of let him go do something else on velocity. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. All right. We get, uh, we get another, I talked about it on the last episode, but we get another taker promo. Taker's going to be coming back. And, um, you know, we talked about this last time, but they really have a lot of, uh, ministry taker footage in this, which I think is interesting given that, you know, in the current form, he is still kind of the, American badass taker. So it was, it was makes you think that maybe when he comes back, he's going to be, you know, uh, you know, like dark undertaker. Cause they do show a lot of ministry footage in here. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if that was the original, uh, production either. Like on, right. Oh, right. Like UPN, like, um, cause he, you wouldn't think they could play kid rock, you know, on uh, mm-hmm. the network or anything. So I don't right. know if that's what it was they were pulling, but who knows? Like, I don't even remember like the dark side being featured, um, during this like commercial thing, but I remember the, the always hyping the return of the undertaker for the Royal rumble. Right. Right. Which is big. I I'm actually not upset that he's coming back because I was kind of digging his stuff. He had, he had a good run in that second half of O2. So I'd like to see him keep it going. Yeah. All right. So, uh, you alluded to it earlier, Grooney, but we're going to get the second part of the Guerreros versus Cena and B2 as now we're going to get Eddie versus B2. Cena and B2 come down the ramp, but immediately get jumped by the Guerreros, which I thought was a cool little moment, like just showing that the Guerreros are pissed. And then we kind of get into the match B2's hitting Eddie with a lot of big blows. Uh, nothing really too spectacular. Pretty basic kind of big man strikes. 
Eddie's flying around for him, bumping around for him, making him look pretty good. Eddie turns the tide with a, um, I thought it was a really impressive tilt a whirl because he hits it on a much bigger guy. And um, I thought good job on Bull because he he uh, pulled that off pretty well, like the tilt a whirl uh, backbreaker. Uh, Chavo lays out Cena outside with the belt, and Eddie pretty much finishes Bull with the uh, the frog splash. So a pretty uh, basic uh, win for Eddie here. You wouldn't expect them to lose to B2, and it kind of evens things out since Cena stole the win earlier. They kind of did the uh, the trade-off where you have the two kind of second bananas taking the pinfalls, and they they each go even, but it works out. I end up going two stars. Eddie was awesome in this, and uh, B2 I thought was fine. Fine, even though he didn't do anything that really impressed me too much. Uh, yeah, I went two stars as well, and um, I, I guess I forgot. I thought Chavo got the win, but I, I forgot that Cena gets the uh, yeah the win. Does he pull the tights or does he use the ropes? I forget. Um, he used the ropes, so he did that. He did the thing where like the guy's going to get rolled up, and they'll just kind of fall with their knees on the guy's shoulder, and then he kind of holds onto the ropes with that. Oh, okay, that yeah. Right, um, so. the thing about this match, um, I don't, I don't know why, like, I guess, um, B2 forgot to, um, switch over, but why is mm-hmm. he on his stomach for the frog splash? Like, right, that, right. Cannot, that can't be good. No. Yeah. That was a little weird. No, I'm with you. That could have just been B2 not knowing what the fuck he was doing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and, uh, did you catch in the, uh. I don't know if you caught it in the crowd, but I thought it was kind of funny. Uh, B2, be gone uh, sign <laughs> in the crowd. And I was like, oh, that's not good. Hopefully, uh, you know, management doesn't see that sign or else they're going to get some ideas in their head. Yeah. It's not like B2 is, uh, you know, on the road to superstar or anything. He's like seen as <laughs> sidekick. So, well, B2 uh, is always, I mean, you know, Bull and right. B2 have always been. Somebody's sidekick. Right, right. That's kind of the story of his career, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so anyway, I, I don't mind B2. He's he's fine. Booyah, okay. <laughs> um, anyway. All right. So after that we go back to Al. Um he has passed out in the beds. Um from what we believe is because he's been banging Dawn all night and uh, he yes. doesn't have anything left in the tank. So the, even the Viagra's not helping him. Dawn's feeling frisky, but Al is unresponsive. And um, I have to say, even with this in this segment, I feel like they're teasing it pretty well because he was, like, not moving at all. I, even in this segment, I was like, is he dead? Like, did she murder him? Like, <laughs> she banging the Viagra the overdose. <laughs> right. Could have been <laughs> all the blood rushed from his head. And <laughs> anyway. All right, but they definitely played up for comedy, though, I have to say. Like, because Taz is like, oh, man, she wore him out. Like, he's got nothing left. So they don't make it seem like it's serious. But we'll see if it could be more serious in a second. All right. Um, we then go to Albert, who's backstage with um, speaking with Heyman. And they kind of talk about, like, Heyman pretty much wants Albert to take care of uh, Brock. But uh, Albert's not having any of it. He wants to handle Brock on his own. He wants to injure him just like he injured Ray Mysterio. And he even says, he says that Brock can't measure up to him and even Big Show cannot. And I was just thinking, uh, yeah, sure, whatever you think, Albert, you know, <laughs> sure. <laughs> Save your back, man. <laughs> A-Train. 
the A train and build the mop push is uh, an interesting thing on SmackDown. Yeah, but A train's got more of like right. A train's right. got more of a body. Well, uh, yeah, but like more of a body and like you know the. He's got an actual move, like you know the the big dude. <laughs> but like he, A Train makes it like you know more wham, you know. Yeah, he's more interesting than Bill Demont. Yeah, he's boring, boring as shit. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. Uh, but he's going to be facing Brock, so that's going to be kind of our main event here. Um, they do kind of make A Train look a little bit like a threat. He gets a Baldo bomb right for the beginning. That kind of has Brock on his heels. Just good big man stuff in this match that I really dug. Like uh, just them big strikes that look good. Kind of just uh, like kind of hoss match stuff. Uh, Lesnar snaps off a scoop slam that looked really good, given a guy of Albert size. So they're doing a good job of always putting Brock in there with these guys that could really get over how much of a complete monster he is. Like with Big Show and now Albert, he just picks him up like he's nothing and scoop slams him. Uh, hits a belly to belly on him. Um, which uh, I thought A-Train, to his credit, elevated super well. Like, he went up really high for that. And then Brock hits him with the F5. So this was just like a quick five minutes, make Brock look like a beast. I mean, give A-Train a little bit of offense so he doesn't look like a complete loser. But this is all about Brock, just continuing the Brock ascension, building Brock up after his injury to get him ready for the Royal Rumble for his big run in the Rumble and then eventually into Mania. So I went two stars on it just because, to me, it had some good uh, big man hoss match energy. And just seeing Brock throw gigantic dudes up into the air is always entertaining for me. So that was good enough for two for me, James. Yeah, I went two stars as well. Uh, incredible strength by Brock. And, you know, it's like incredible strength by Brock to A-Train as it was to Big Show to Rikishi. So uh, I went two stars on this and a huge F5 to to A-Train. So, yeah, uh, it was a great, uh, great match. Yeah, the crowd, I have to say, too, is just completely behind Brock in this face run. Like, they are now that he's back, he's in ring. They're they're fully behind him and ready for him to uh, to conquer Paul Heyman. So um, he which speaking of, he calls out Paul Heyman and Big Show. We cut to the back to see that Paul Heyman and Big Show, it seems like they're going to come down to the ring to face Brock. But they actually uh, chicken shit out and head for the um, the parking lot and then leave the building to kind of mess with them. So we think that's probably how we're going to end the show. With uh, you know Brock seething that he can't get his hands on Heyman and show, but the actual last segment, James, is we head back to the the hotel, <laughs> and we see that Al is not breathing. Um, he is, um, and we see the paramedics come into the room. They get the <laughs> they get the uh, the defibrillator or whatever out and start zapping him, and they make sure to um, and just great stuff. Like he has the. Uh, the lipstick on his underwear. How do you think about this? It's so ridiculous. But they make sure to tell us before the show goes off the air that he has a pulse. So at least we don't we don't think he's dead. But uh, he's I don't know. Maybe he had a heart attack. He could have been the OD on the Viagra. But I'm I mean Taz might not be. I'm glad that Al survived this though. But we're left with this cliff cliffhanger of uh, Al's near death here at the honeymoon. Oh, there's that soap opera action for you. Right. Exactly. We have to make sure that we uh, have him possibly dying because that's the only logical next step after the, uh, you know, the stepmother 
stepdaughter match. Now we just need to have him having a heart attack or ODing on Viagra. So surprised uh, Disney is not suing for story likenesses of uh, <laughs> <laughs> you ripped us off. <laughs> I mean, but then they'll be like, yeah, but there wasn't a wrestling match in Cinderella. We don't know what you're talking about. Did you did you think it was funny that this is how they chose to end the show? Like it kind of shows you how much of a they at least think it's like a big deal. Like they really think that they're like cooking people in with this whole soap opera thing. I mean, they end the show with it. That's kind of a it's a pretty key spot. Yeah, um, I thought it was um, the way I thought I remembered it was that it was the segment where the ambulance comes and then it goes to Brock. And uh, you would have thought that it was finished with Brock and A-Train, but uh, surprised that uh, it finishes with Dawn and Al, you know. Right. That's the soap style. Got to make sure you tune in next week to see if Al's going to make it. I'm sure. Yeah, but cares. I mean, if you, put, if you did a reverse where it was like, oh, I, I'm right. sure the fans still would have tuned in. Like, oh man, what happened to Al? <laughs> yeah, I can't say they're completely wrong, but yeah. Anyway, the way she's right, saying but... Al too is like, Al, Al, <laughs> he's not breathing. He's, he's not, not breathing. breathing. They yeah. killed me that they. I can't believe they actually did the thing where they zapped him. That was cracking up. <laughs> Clear. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Anyway, but uh, that's how we end SmackDown, James. But I, th- I thought this was another good one, just like Raw. I thought this is a good, solid show. I think they they crammed a lot of entering action. I think maybe maybe a few too many matches, honestly. But I still think it was a good show. I thought the things that they needed to build were built well. Like I thought the Lesnar Heyman stuff was built well. The uh, the Benoit Angle stuff was built extremely well. I loved everything they did with that. And I thought the undercards even picking up with the Guerreros and the Cena stuff. Like, I felt like, just like Raw, I feel like they're doing a really good job of making sure everything, for the most part, everything on the show serves some kind of purpose and pushes things along. So I went a 6 out of 10, just like I did with Raw. I thought they were pretty even this week. I went a 6 as well. Um, just good buildup between Benoit and Angle and, uh, you know, the brute strength of both Big Show and... Uh, Brock, and then you know you just add in all the, you know the cruiserweight styles with uh, Eddie to Jerry Kidman and all those guys, you know bouncing around. The only boring match was probably the Shane Moore versus Bill Demott match, but uh, all in all, good show. Yeah, I would agree. I think both shows are going into the Rumble decently strong. I think they're both. And I'm also surprised on. too mm-hmm. that uh, you know, um, I mean, yeah. It, um, you need, like, I guess you need Bischoff on Raw, but there was no Stephanie McMahon, uh, you know, mm-hmm. segment on uh, SmackDown. Wow. So, you know, I just picked up on that. I was like, yeah, no uh, SmackDown GM, you know. Maybe she's got the week off and she just didn't feel like being on the show. Or, you know. That's an extremely good point. I didn't even notice that. But you are 100% right. I can't, I can't remember the last time. I mean, I don't think they've had a show without Stephanie since she debuted. So yeah, hmm. maybe she's just have an extended New Year's Christmas break. Maybe yep. maybe you're on the something there. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but anyway, let's go into our awards here. Uh, best match at a few candidates here, but I think I'm going to give it to that Kidman Hardy match. I thought that one pretty. I thought that was a really awesome sprint. Yeah, I'm going to give it to um, Kidman and uh, Hardy too. I thought it was a really good one. Plus that shooting star press uh, mm-hmm. moment. Uh, does it for me right 
Um, so we'll go to best moment. I actually went with the uh, Sean Jericho promo. I thought it was really strong. Yeah, um, I'm going to go with that as well. Um, it mm-hmm. was it was good. Um, you know, just the whole like, if you want to be the man, do it. Become number one. And, you know, Jericho's proving, but I'm already the man. You know, I already beat Stone Cold and The Rock twice of once in the same night, you know, both guys in the same night. So uh, good, strong stuff by uh, Shawn Michaels and Chris Jericho. Mm -hmm. Uh, Best show, I know I had to be even rating wise, but I'd probably give a slight edge to SmackDown. I I gave it to SmackDown, too. You know, uh, Raw is still... um, it still seems like it's getting that uh, 2002 uh, shade. Like, you know, I know I know it's like 2003, mm-hmm. but it still feels like there's like that 2002, like, roster. Maybe the roster needs to be cleaned up and we just need to, like, mm-hmm. you know, build better stars, you know? Right. Like, I would be old in with the mm-hmm. new in a way. It's almost like when Austin... Like when 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 Austin left, everyone stood up. So it's like, does someone need to leave for that new uh, step up, or you know, do you need to bring people back to make Raw more exciting? So you know, you'll see down the line as you go. Yeah, I agree. I think they're still trying to figure out what they want to do with everybody, and I, I still think they're trying to figure out that undercard. I think they know Triple H is their guy on top, and whatever feud he's having, I think they're still trying to experiment with what they want to do. And right now they're going with the whole Eric being the, you know, the evil GM thing. And that's what they're rolling with. And we'll see how long that lasts. But yeah, um, LVP, I think I'm going to go with, we spoke about it, but I'll probably say D'Lo. He just seems completely out of place. Like you mentioned <laughs> you it. Read you, my mind. Yeah, you mentioned it. He just kind of looks like a relic. He doesn't look like he really fits here on Raw anymore. So I'm going to go D'Lo. D-Lo, yep, me too. Um, MVP, I'm going to go with Team Angle. I thought they looked excellent on SmackDown, the whole package. Uh, you know, um, I'm going to give it to Brock. Like, I right. was just a huge Brock Lesnar. I'm a huge Brock Lesnar, <laughs> Mark, you know. And during this right. time, I was a huge Brock Lesnar, Mark. And, um, you know, just his incredible strength to a big man like Albert, you know, gave it to uh, Brock Lesnar. So Brock Lesnar is my MVP for this SmackDown. Very good. And for this show. All right. Uh, so besides your MVP, did you have any standout performers? Anybody else who stood out to you? You know, I will give it to um, – I'll give it to Team Angle. Um, it's like mm-hmm. So that's three three spots because even if Kurt doesn't do anything, it's still good. Like, you right. know, because he's building up with uh, Benoit. I'll go Benoit 4. Uh, because, you know, a good, um, almost a huge Chris Benoit mark back then, uh, you know, just, uh, he was one of my favorites, uh, you know, going into this feud and I'm going to give it to Kidman just for that shooting star, uh, that shooting star press, you know, off the, um, off the top rope. Yep. So besides what you said, the only other two I had different from you i had um i gave randy orton a little bit of a rub because it was cool to see him kind of make his debut on raw and come back from the injury and kind of like we mentioned sort of be affiliated with these kind of top guys and not seeming completely out of place and i also gave it to jericho for you know uh, holding his own with sean and looking like moving on to something 
bigger than what he's been doing, kind of elevating himself a bit. And I thought he killed it in his promo. So, but everything else, I was right there with you. Benoit, Brock, Kidman, I thought all looked great on these uh, on this week of TV. So. Yeah, you know, like I just thought that Rob was like lacking. Where it was like, I don't, right. I, I, if I, if I had to like alternate it, like maybe the Jericho, like for for his promo skills. Like I really don't like a promo. Like I would get match, you know. King and RVD mm-hmm. could have been candidates, but I just thought that Raw was like still a little bit boring, you know. Right, it drags a bit. I agree. Yeah, it, it it drags at times, but all right, James. But that that uh that wraps us up for these two. Um, thanks for coming on the show, dude. You have anything you would like to uh, plug that you have going on? Well, by the time that this drops, uh, you know, uh, either before or after this drops, uh, you could find me uh, as a guest for uh, popcorn chicken salad. Uh, I was a guest on that show on the Place to Be Pop Feed with Logan Crossley, Matt Souza, and Ben Locke. We watched Looney Tunes back in action. It has uh, Jenna Elfman and uh, Brendan Fraser starring in that with a Goldberg cameo. And Steve Martin plays the villain and all your favorite Looney Tunes. So you can catch me on there. <laughs> and uh, by the Maybe by the time you get this, uh, depending on what happens, um, you know, um, I have my own podcast, like I said, uh, on the Place to Be Wrestling feed, uh, Extreme Resurrection. Me and Mike are on the road to, um, we're actually there on to uh, December to December, um, which fans of uh, WWE call that the worst pay-per-view buy rate ever on uh, for just an ECW pay-per-view. So we'll see what happens there as well so that's it for me very good um as for me i will be back in a couple weeks to continue this journey to through 03 and the ruthless aggression era and uh sooner i'll be at the royal rumble but make sure you listen to all the great podcasts we have on the quad pods and on the north south connection network listen to stuff Rudy's got going on and um i will see you in a couple weeks for the go home to royal rumble 2003 so i'll let you hear me i'll see you next time <laughs>